This PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Their scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. Find out more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Coroner's determination that actor Matthew Perry died from the acute effects of ketamine is drawing new attention to the drug. It's a powerful anesthetic intended for use during surgery, but it's also become a popular treatment for some mental health problems. And because of its psychedelic effects, it's also used recreationally. Perry's autopsy report says the 54-year-old actor was on ketamine therapy, but that the level in his system was too high to have come from his last known therapy session. According to a healthcare analytics firm, since 2017, ketamine prescriptions have shot up 500%. For-profit clinics and telehealth services prescribe it for chronic pain, depression, anxiety, and other conditions, none of which are approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Medical professionals warn there's limited research into the effects of long-term ketamine use. Dr. Caleb Alexander is a professor of epidemiology and medicine at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Alexander, thanks for being with us. First of all, just tell us, what does ketamine do and why would it be preferable in surgery over something else? Well, ketamine is a very rapidly acting anesthetic and it, it was developed in the 1960s uh, to treat people with battlefield trauma and in highly supervised clinical settings, like an operating room. And so in this instance, uh, it was well studied and the Food and Drug Administration approved it, uh, believing, I think rightly, that it was safe and effective in these settings. Patients who are prescribed this by clinics and, and telehealth operations who use it long-term or chronically, are they reporting uh, having disturbing side effects? Yeah, well, it's important to emphasize that the safety and effectiveness of a drug isn't a static feature of the drug, any more so than we would say that a hammer or a, a roll of duct tape is good or bad. But what we're seeing with these clinics is that ketamine is being used not for treating someone that's having their appendix taken out, it's being used to manage depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic non-cancer pain. So it's being used in ways that are vastly different than the ways in which it's been studied by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And what are the risks in that? Well, I think there are huge risks. I mean, when, when we think about whether or not a drug should be used, it's not just about benefits and it's not just about safety, it's about the, the, the balance of benefits and safety. And in the case of ketamine, for these sorts of uses, for anxiety or for post-traumatic stress disorder, not only do we not know very much about whether it's effective, there are also real risks, uh, risks including neuropsychiatric effects uh, that can be long-term, uh, cardiovascular effects, changes in blood pressure and in, in uh, the body circulation, and uh, uh, bladder effects, uh, uh, an inflammation of the lining of the bladder, to name just a few. Why do you think it's become so popular among clinics and telehealth uh, providers to prescribe it? Why are the prescriptions shot up so much? 
Well, it's a, it's a very good question. One factor, I think, is simply greed. It's the profit motive of the clinics and the telehealth companies that can uh, stand to gain tens of thousands, millions of dollars uh, through its sale. Uh, we also have seen uh, in a surge of interest in the use of psychedelics, things such as psilocybin, which is derived from mushrooms, and a surge of interest in the use of psychedelics for the treatment of psychiatric illness. I think both of these are factors that may be contributing. And this is also prescribed for chronic pain? It is, it is. And, and it's worth noting, uh, unfortunately, we're still in the midst of, of an opioid epidemic. And uh, we've lost far too many lives from opioids. And I think we've learned the hard way that in most instances that prescription opioids are not great medicines for the management of chronic non-cancer pain. And this too may be driving some interest in, in the use of ketamine, but I certainly wouldn't say that we have more evidence for ketamine than opioids for these instances. Now explain to us, the, uh, the, I guess it's a loophole in regulation that allows a doctor who never sees the patient in person, who does it by, you know, Zoom, to prescribe a, a, a psychedelic to somebody in that way. The bottom line is that there is an important loophole in our system of regulating how prescription drugs can be marketed, and this loophole needs to be closed. Uh, we have a patchwork of regulations by the Federal Trade Commission, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and consumer protection laws, and these uh, restrict how pharmaceutical companies, the makers of ketamine, can market and promote the drug but they don't necessarily restrict how other companies, these telehealth companies and freestanding clinics can market and promote the drug. The, the bottom line is that our regulations governing drug promotion were, were conceived and were written in an era before these companies existed. And so we now have companies that are uh, exploiting these loopholes and marketing this drug, making wildly outlandish claims about its safety and effectiveness. Someone who has chronic pain, someone who's suffering from depression or anxiety, hears these claims. What would you want them to know and think about before they go to their doctor and say, hey, how about trying this? One of the most important lessons that I think we've learned from the opioid epidemic is that we have many tools in the toolbox. We have many tools in the toolbox to manage chronic pain, and we also have many tools in the toolbox to manage depression and other psychiatric illness. And I think it's vital that we keep in mind uh, uh, that, that we do have options. I'm talking about both uh, pharmacologic options, prescription drugs, and also non-pharmacologic options. So I think both of these are important to keep in mind. Dr. Caleb Alexander from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, thank you very much. Thank you for having me.